going to turn to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through 33. So Matthew chapter 14. And those people who might be using your cell phones as a Bible, I want to encourage you to make sure that you put on do not disturb mode so that you can actually focus. Because I know, don't know about you, but I get lots of pop-up things on my phone that distract me there. So Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. And today we are uh, going to do a sermon that uh, it has the same title, but it's certainly not the same message that I think I gave uh, 16 years ago here. And I've given it several different times, uh, but it's combating the vampires of joy. I figured it is the season of Halloween. Some of you, like Nick, have already skipped over to Christmas and are watching the Hallmark Christmas movie marathon. Uh, Nick has, like, scheduled out his time period. You're not allowed to have an emergency during Hallmark, uh, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. Uh, but some of us are still in kind of in that Halloween mode, so I figured we would tie the theme all together there. So Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 23. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. May the Lord bless this reading of the scriptures. So, Today's message is entitled, Combating the Vampires of Joy. And when I gave this message probably over 16 years ago, I'm figuring it was 16 because next month is 17 years, so it would have been October, so like it probably would have been the 16-year mark. Uh, I gave this message, I kind of talked about people in our lives that have the ability to suck joy out of our lives. Anybody deal with those types of people? They kind of feel like you got people that are always sucking joy out of your life. And uh, I'll be honest that this message was inspired by a member of my family who is not here and not listening online, but it was inspired by a member of my family. And the funny thing was when I gave this message uh, and I described the vampire of joy initially, uh, and on the way out, we had Angela Ogden, who was here, and she said, you know, I work with somebody that meets that characteristic. And as we were talking about that person, turns out it was the same person, same person uh, that we all have that idea of the vampires of good. But I have to tell you that 
those certs, that over the years, I would hope, right, that our faith changes and that our perspective of things change. And so today I'm hoping to give you a different perspective on all those what we who we think are vampires of joy in our lives, who actually is. I want you I want us to understand who actually is the true vampire of joy in our life. You know, the Bible talks a lot about joy and people have a hard time distinguishing between joy and happiness. And as I went through my notes over these past years, the, the, the notes, I don't have the notes from the earliest sermons that I gave here because I didn't think I'd be doing it this long. Uh, so I would just toss out the notes. But um, when I think about how I've tried to explain joy to all of us over the years, and every Christmas season we talk about joy and uh, figuring this out because the Bible tells us that we have joy but there are times that I don't feel like I have joy. Anybody there, right? The Bible says you have joy, but I don't feel like I have joy. And that's because we kind of mistake happiness for joy. Now, the very beginning of the word happy is hap. And that same, that same part of that word goes to happenstance, which are things that happen occasionally, that just so happen. Right? So something circumstantial, things happen. And that's where happiness comes into play. God wants his children to be happy. Don't get me wrong. But happiness is based upon circumstances. Joy is based upon a mindset. It's based upon a reality that we all understand. Joy is the fruit of our living hope that is focused on Christ. We can't talk about joy without talking about hope. And with hope, hope is looking out to the future, right? Whereas happiness is looking at my momentary thing, what's happening now. Joy is looking out to the future. But it's not just looking out to any future, but it's looking out to a future that is grounded in our living hope, a living hope as it tells us in First Peter, this living hope that is rooted in Jesus Christ, knowing that we are within his providential care, knowing that whether we're going through the mountaintops or we're going through the valleys, that no matter what, Jesus is with us. And no matter what, because Jesus is with us and because of the work of Jesus upon the cross, no matter what, we are now more than conquerors. So even though we're going through difficult circumstances, we can have this deep hope within us, that hope, joy. In Romans 15, 13, we read that passage in that, that response of reading. That was one of the passages there. But listen to what the writer says and how it's tied to hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So if I want to have joy, it starts with hope, and then it means that I keep on abounding in hope. But the relationship there, church, between hope, peace, and joy, you can't have joy if you don't have hope. You can't have true hope unless you have a faith that is truly grounded in a relationship with Jesus Christ. In John 15, 11, Jesus says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be full. Everybody say full. You see, when we are full church, that's when we're content. Soon Thanksgiving is coming up, and most of us will sit at that Thanksgiving feast, and we will eat till we are full or overfull there until we are content. And when you're full, that's, by the way, the best time to go grocery shopping because you won't make the unwise decisions there on what you're going to put in your cart. Because when we're hungry, we end up making unwise decisions about what we put in our mouth. The same thing, church, when it comes to our spiritual life. When we find ourselves spiritually hungry or emotionally unsatisfied, we make poor decisions about what we are going to allow into our lives. And we take all these other things that the world has to offer and we try to place it where only Jesus belongs. We try to fill up that God-shaped hole within all of us with all the junk that this world has offered. You just turn on the television, turn on Facebook, turn on whatever social media platform you look at, and something is going to promise you that if you get this, then your life will be better. But church, I teach business, that is the core of how marketing is working. Marketing is supposed to tell you that you are lacking something, and therefore you need to go buy this. That means you got to spend something. And whatever you spend, church, it's part of your life, right? If you think about money as time, think about it that way. Money is time. Time is your life. Life on earth is a finite period. So whatever we're taking that time and giving that money to, we are literally giving our life. And I'm talking about the stuff that you physically buy. We're giving our life to that stuff. But how many of us are giving our spiritual lives to that stuff as well? The stuff of this world where Jesus says, do not store for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust will destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where our inheritance is, where we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are fools, church. When we recognize that we are fools, that we have joy, that we do have hope, that we do have peace. Well, that makes a big difference on how we live out our lives. Because many of us think, if only this might happen, then I will have peace. If only this might happen, then I will have joy. If only this might happen, then I will have hope. But it was interesting in this passage, I didn't know I was going to preach from this passage in Matthew or Matthew 14 until actually early this morning, and it just kind of popped in there, that this idea where Jesus says, it says, now Jesus sends his disciples out in the boat, and when they're in the boat, it says, uh, the boat was already a considerable distance from land, and it was buffeted with the waves, by the waves, because the wind was against it. How many of us, church, in our lives, every day, can feel the wind coming against us, and we get buffeted by those waves, and we find ourselves unstable. But I want to tell you something, church. God doesn't want us to live our lives buffeted by the waves. He does send us into the storm. He sends the disciples into this area where the wind was coming against us. But he sent them there to demonstrate his power. He sent them there because he was going to walk on the water and wanted them to understand that they have 
an opportunity to walk on the water too. Now, it might be easy to sit there and look at Peter and go, oh, Peter got his eyes off of Jesus, but all those other ones were sitting there in the boat, terrified, it tells us. They were just sitting there terrified. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come out. Peter gets out. Now, by the way, it doesn't say that the wind has stopped. It doesn't say that the wind stopped. It doesn't say that the boat wasn't being buffeted any longer. In the midst of the wind blowing, in the midst of the waves buffeting the boat, Jesus comes. And Jesus, Peter says, can I come out? And Jesus invites him and says, come. I think he says that to all of us. Come. Experience this life. Not a life apart from the wind that is coming against you. Not apart from the disturbances that are around you. But come. Come and walk above that. Walk through it. See, that's what, when the Bible tells us that we have overcoming power. That's that overcoming power. It's not a power to go around the problem. It's a power to rise above the problem. To not allow the problem to overtake us. And Peter gets out of the boat. And think about that in its relationship to joy. Because church, we allow the circumstances of our lives to dictate what is supposed to be a reality in our life. Joy is the birthright of every child of God. But we, not like, unlike, just like Esau, back in the Old Testament, we give up our birthright for a temporary thing. How many of us have given up our heritage in the Lord, given up all the gifts and the abilities, all the promises for temporary stuff? This is what Henry Nowen says about joy. Now, Henry Nowen was, uh, was in the Catholic Church, and he writes about joy, but the thing about Henry Nowen that I've always appreciated is that Henry Nowen was a very depressed individual. Went through severe bouts of depression. But listen to what a person who gave his life over to Christ, who worked his entire life for Christ, found himself consumed with depression from time to time. This is what he was. Joy is essential to the spiritual life. Whatever we may think of or say about God when we are not joyful, our thoughts and our words cannot bear fruit. Jesus reveals to us God's love so that his joy may become ours and that our joy may be complete. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away. Joy, and you can hear this, is not the same as happiness. We can be unhappy about many things, but joy can still be there because it comes from the knowledge of God's love for us. I love that idea about the fact that we can still be unhappy. Joy does not mean I have to walk around with a smile on my face all the time. I'm grateful because this is my normal face. 
there is a person that I work with that always has a smile on her face. She is the most cheerful person ever, and I want to know, what prescription are you on? I want that pill. But I go, I don't understand that, that ability to be happy all the time, but I'm actually sure that there are times that she's not happy and you just end up seeing that happy side of this individual. But it's important to know that you can be joyful and unhappy at the same time. You can have joy and be in mourning at the same time. You can have joy and be in distress at the same time. I mean, I think about this. Did, did Jesus still have joy in the Garden of Gethsemane? Yes, he had joy. He didn't have happiness. Because the Bible tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus had his eyes on the prize, but that didn't mean that he wasn't crying. That doesn't mean that he wasn't praying, Father, may this cup be passed by me. And that's very helpful for me to understand, church, that we're going to go through times that we're not going to like it. But that doesn't mean we don't have joy, because joy is contentment. Contentment is the aim. Not happiness. Contentment in Christ, despite my feelings, and my circumstances. We all know that our feelings lie to us, and yet we listen to them all the time. And we all know that our circumstances can change on a dime. One, you wake up in the morning feeling bad, you can end your day feeling good, and vice versa. And I don't know about you, but I ride little bits of roller coasters all throughout the day. Anybody there with me? And wouldn't it be nice, church, to not ride the roller coaster so much? Because I want to tell you something, just because you're invited to the amusement park doesn't mean you need to ride the ride. Some of us need to stop getting on that same roller coaster and just go, I've had enough. Philippians is a book by Paul, written to the book of the Church of Philippi, it's titled The Joy Book. But yet Paul's sitting in the prison when he's writing this book and he's getting ready to go before Nero and whether or not his life will be spared or whether he will be killed. And yet he takes this whole book and he talks about joy, 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 joy over and over and over. And one of the things he says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 20, very early on, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, Paul had a mindset change, and his mindset change allowed him to be able to be filled with hope, to be able to experience joy, even in a prison cell, even when awaiting a possible death set. His mind, his mindset changed, and many of us need to recognize that the battlefield is in our minds, amen? This square footage here, that's the most valuable piece of real estate that you will ever own in, on this earth, is the one that you're carrying around on your neck. He, because what Paul did was he set his hope fully on Christ. And he says, if I go down, great, I get to live with Christ. If I'm still living, great, then I'm here living for Christ. Either I am with him spiritually up there, or whether I'm down here, no matter what, Christ is what's important. Christ was the source of his joy. Christ was the source of his hope. And church, that's a question for us. Where do we place, where are we anchoring our hope? Where are we anchoring ourselves? Paul anchored himself in Christ and he was able 
to make it through all that stuff and remain joyful. Not necessarily happy, but remain joyful through it all. He writes at the end of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or one. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Notice he said, I've learned the secret of being content, and he didn't learn the secret of being happy. There's no secret of being happy. Just give you what you want for that moment. That's going to make you happy. But it's a moment. But the real secret, church, is learning how to reframe things and focus on contentment rather than happiness. Contentment can be found in Christ. Happiness is not always going to be found in Christ. Because Christ is going to call us into places and call us into storms that are not going to make us feel happy. The disciples, 11 of them, all 12 of them were terrified. One says, I'll go ahead and get out of the boat. And when he gets out of the boat, Peter gets out of the boat. He's walking on the water, and this is good, until he starts looking around. He starts looking around, and then the wind and the waves begin overtaking him. And there's something that I really appreciated here that Peter goes, uh, Lord, save me when he's beginning to sink. And verse 31 says, immediately. Everybody say immediately. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You know what that tells me? Jesus was already making his way to Peter because he knew that Peter was going to sink and he wasn't going to allow him to be overtaken. Immediately. Jesus wasn't even waiting for Peter to cry out. Jesus knew what was going on in church. That should be such comfort for us that Jesus knows everything that's going on in our lives. I like when people tell me, oh, Pastor, I wish I could have gotten a hold of you so that you could pray for Sister So-and-so. And I went, well, do you think God needs me to pray for Sister So-and-so? I mean, like, that's great for Sister So-and-so to pray for her. We'll call her Sister Bertha for now. It's great for me to pray for Sister Bertha, but God isn't up there waiting for me to give him his little reminder to take care of Sister Bertha because the Bible tells me that he's already at work in all things, bringing about the good. Immediately, Jesus is waiting to reach out his hand. Now, church, the importance of joy in the life of the follower of Jesus. Let me touch on this real quick. Nehemiah 8.10 says, and you guys said it over and over, and I hope you will say it over and over. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. To recognize that when I place my hope in him, then I get joy from that. That joy then becomes the strength that even though I don't feel like it, I can keep on keeping on. That's why it's so important. Now, here. Here's the thing, Proverbs 17, 22 says this, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Sometimes we got a lot of dry bones in our lives because we are just focused on a crushed spirit. But I like this idea of a joyful heart is good medicine. Because I was talking to another colleague of mine this week who was on, who's on an antidepressant pill and uh, they decided to stop taking the pill a month ago, just on their own. And, and the person said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really in a funk. And I went, 
because you're not taking your pill. You can't just stop taking the pill. The doctor prescribed you a pill, and you got to follow the prescription, but it says, and then say, stop taking it for a month? No. It said, and you know why she stopped taking it? Because she simply didn't go to the store to refill it. And goes, well, maybe I should do that. You think? I'm thinking that there might be a correlation here between you. Stop taking the medicine and you're feeling bad. Now, how many of us get pills from the doctor when you got some sort of illness and you need an antibiotic and you might be tempted to go off of those pills and maybe because you think that you're feeling better? Because you think you're feeling better. And at the end of the day, that, that once two things happen. One, your body begins to develop a resistance to that antibiotic that makes it ineffective later on. And two, that illness might come and rear its head again because you didn't actually knock it out. You just quieted it in your life. A lot of us quiet the storms rather than knocking out the storms. We quiet all that stuff rather than taking our daily prescription. Here's the thing, church. God gives us what our daily prescription is supposed to be. It's supposed to be praise and thanksgiving, prayers and petitions to God. It's supposed to be loving one another and experiencing that love. But you got to take the prescription. you got to read the pill bottle. you got to read this. And you got to figure out how to apply it and recognize you're not a doctor. Just because you get WebMD and you Googled on the Google machine for that, you're not a doctor. And by the way, some of the worst people, and I've said this before, some of the worst people are nurses. Because nurses are sit there and they know a lot about medicine, but they will sit there and try to tell me what, what something is. And I go, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to a doctor. I'm going to go to a doctor because there's a reason. There is a difference between nurses and doctors. The doctor is the one who prescribes. Nurse is the one who gives care. Nurse has a lot of information there, but I need to go to somebody that has more information. I don't know about you, but I value people that have more information. And you know who has more information than I do? That is the rock that is higher than I. There is a rock that is higher than I, as the psalmist says. And that's the one that we got to go to and we got to listen to rather than arguing with God about it. Now, in Galatians 5, it tells us uh, that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that we look at with the fruit of the Holy Spirit is that we kind of look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit in these individual things, but I kind of look at it as one step that leads to another step that leads to another step. This is what Paul writes, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, uh, it just brings, this is in the message translation, things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energy wisely. These are fruits of the Holy Spirit. And I'll put it in, in, in the other version, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I know I always end up missing one of them, but you get the whole thing. Love, God's love starts the whole thing. It's the whole catalyst, God's love through me. And when I start experiencing God's love, what's the result then? Joy. More. So if you got a problem with joy, you got to make sure you're connected more to God's love. Think about God's love. Meditate on those things. 
break out some Bible passages and stick them on your walls if you got to in your house, but start meditating and thinking about such things. Now, I told you that I had a revelation about this vampire of joy. You can steal your joy. I thought that the vampires for a long time were other people. Turns out that one of the things about vampires is they can't see themselves in the mirror. I am my own vampire of joy. You are your own vampire of joy. And you go, wait a minute, Pastor. If you knew what I have to live with, if you knew what I have to do, if you knew the story of my life, you wouldn't say I'm the vampire joy because this person is going to be, this person is the vampire joy. Well, you know, here's the thing, church. I can replace that person with another person. You can replace this circumstance with another circumstance. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But in despite of the, that trouble, the Bible tells me that I have joy. Everybody say, I have joy. I have joy. You got joy. So therefore, if, and whatever God gives me, can anybody take away? Nope. Whatever God gives me, I can't take away. But here's what happens in the Garden of Eden. Remember Adam and Eve? They're living in paradise. The serpent couldn't get them out of the garden, but he could convince them that the garden wasn't enough. Church, you cannot, nothing that God has given you can be taken from you. But we can surrender. We can give it up. Just as they did back then, we continue to do now. John 10, 10, one of my favorite passages. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. The thief is coming. The thief is always going to be there. The thief is there, always waiting to steal, always waiting to kill and destroy. But how does he do it? He waits for us to open the door, because the vampire can't come in unless he opens the door. But the big thing that we all need to recognize is the vampire is us. The vampire is me. That was my revelation that I got out. James 4.1. Right? What causes fights and quarrels among them? Well, with that question, I would look, because it first goes on, but I'd like to stop there. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, people who don't do what I want them to do, that's one. People who don't think like I think, that's two. Because uh, I always think that the world would be a much better place if everybody thought like me, talked like me, and was like me. Because in that world, I would be the best looking person in the world. Right? If I was the center of the universe, I'd be the best looking person in the world. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't stop it because what fight falls and fights and falls among you. I think of all these things. This is what the writer of James says. Don't they come from your, your desires that battle within Where do I lose my joy? How do I lose my peace? How do I do all that? It's because of the battles within me. It is possible, church. It's not only possible, it's a promise that whatever we're going through, wherever, whenever, all this stuff, I can maintain my joy. I can keep my peace. And I can recognize that the greatest threat for all those things 
knew myself enough. And church, that's good news because I got to tell you something. What was one of those other fruits of the Holy Spirit? Self-control. Whatever God has told you to do, he has equipped you to do, and we are empowered to do, is what did Paul say? I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned how to do this. I'm going to take my mind. I'm going to set it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You don't need to be moving mountains in your family. Recognize you're probably the biggest mountain. Don't need to be trying to move mountains in the workplace. Move your mountain. Recognize you're probably somebody else's mountain, and you're probably the biggest mountain that's in the way of you experiencing the life that Jesus died for all of us to have. Tune in next week for part two. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. The hope of Jesus Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. As we go out from this place over this next week, help us, Lord, to walk in the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. To know no matter whether we are on highs or the lows, that you are with us through it all. Church, please stay. For this mission and benediction, place out your hands. Go now to will and to work for God's purposes. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Be filled with the same love and look to the interest of others with reverence for God. Work out your salvation. And may God quench your thirst with love and consolation. May Christ Jesus strengthen you and encourage you. May the Holy Spirit lead you on and make your joy complete. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, all God's children said, Amen. Thank you for joining us online and in person.